Welcome back to Investing Experts Podcast. I'm Daniel Snyder. In this episode, we're joined by James Ford, founder of the Pragmatic Investor Investing Group. We discuss this week's macro data, the M2 money supply, what's happening in crypto with Bitcoin and Ethereum, including an altcoin that he prefers for investors. And there's so much more. But first, did you know you can follow Investing Experts on Seeking Alpha? You'll get notified of every episode release, find relevant links to articles and the investing groups, transcripts of the episode, and so much more. So make sure you check it out. Now let's get into the interview. James, it's great having you on the podcast today. Let's dive in. CPI, PPI, we've gotten all the data. I talked to Eric Basmachian in the last episode. He told us what he thought. What is your takeaway from this macroeconomic data coming out? Uh, well, Daniel, first of all, thanks for having me. And I think by now it's pretty clear, the trend has been pretty clear for some time now, that basically that, uh, that inflation level is, is coming down, uh, the disinflation is happening. And we're seeing that, like you say, in the headline numbers, I think it's very clear also when you uh, think about where we stand right now in the, uh, in the business cycle and just uh, looking at other things like you know, the way that uh, M2 money supply uh, has has been going down. I shared a chart yesterday with my subscri subscribers where basically shows the uh, the M2 and the uh, CPI that kind of uh, lagged by a few months and shows how basically the M2 leads that CPI down, and that's basically what we're gonna what we're what we're seeing now. And I expect this to to continue trending down. So let's take a second to touch on the M2 money supply from the Fed, right? For the people that are listening may not understand what is going on here. Can you give them the brief synopsis and where the target levels might be as to when that reduction stops, et cetera? Well, the Fed just, uh, they just uh, had the, supposedly that last uh, Fed uh, hike, uh, the quantitative tightening, of course, still going on. But um, overall, what is the, the M2, the, the broad money supply? Uh, we're seeing that 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 trend down, and a lot of that also has to do with uh, some of the issues we've been seeing with with the banks in general. And um, so that uh, tightening is also going to probably translate into uh, into tighter money. And like I said, that's that's probably going to translate into a much lower inflation. Now the question is, of course, how much of that might translate into a weaker data, and uh, you know how you how you weigh those things down. Inflation's under control now, but that recession that has been you know announced for like the last year is a uh, is coming in perhaps i mean we have data coming out that supports that the economy is holding up a bit better than expected so the question is how much time until that recession really takes takes hold and you know how much can can we rally from here or how soon do we start going down james let me ask you are you expecting a fed pivot this year uh yeah mainly i think uh, if you look basically at where the uh, the fed funds uh, futures uh what the market is pricing in they are already pricing in those those cuts uh, i think that obviously that is a bit uh, aggressive i'm not sure we can we're going to get those cuts so soon but there's definitely a lot of reasons for the fed to cut or at the very least i think uh the have a have a pause and i think that is yeah if 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 i had to take a bet and what most of the market is betting on is that um, that the Fed pauses at this point? So yeah, I do I do believe that pivot is coming. This, especially with the latest inflation data, there's no real reason at the moment why why they wouldn't. Well, so you're saying pause and pivot, right? So walk us through that. Are we pa pausing? Okay, if we're pausing for how long, and then what month of the year or what meeting should we be expecting? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, basically, I believe that there's going to be a pause. I actually also shared a chart at one point, which um highlighted the average amount of months that the Fed has paused, which is around five months uh, historically. 
So maybe that's something we could expect. We did get much longer pauses, for example, back in 2006, which I, I've been using as a bit of a, a point of reference uh, lately, because um, I, I see a lot of similarities there with the way that um, obviously there's a lot of concern with the recession. But if you look at you know maybe 2006, what happened till 2008, we had that pretty long pause and the market actually uh, performed quite well before we, obviously we had that you know, huge uh, 2008 financial uh, crash. Um, so to that extent, um, yeah, I believe there's a there's a pause which should last, like I said, about six, seven, eight months. I, I'm more bullish about the pause than the pivots because normally when the Fed starts cutting, that's when you know that's when shit hits the fan and that's when uh, equities uh, you know get get us give us that final dump. So uh, I'm bullish on the pause, which you know hopefully it could take us to to the end of the year. I, I would that would be my. Uh, my guess, my best guess. So just to clarify, because you said the average pause was five months. Is that from when they did the last rate hike or for the meeting immediately after their last rate hike? So that would be from, yeah, from the last rate hike until they do the next, until they cut, basically the time that the Fed uh, spends at that, at that level, pause, yeah. Gotcha. Just wanted to clarify. Thank you for that. Uh, so we're expecting a pause. We're expecting a pivot is what you're telling me, which then would be a puke for equities, in your opinion, or a rally for equities? Well, like I said, historically, I would, I mean, and obviously, you know, history can only show us that much, but um, the pause definitely, I think, is bullish, right? So it's a, it's supposedly, and that this is kind of what I'm looking at, what you might call the, uh, some people call the Goldilocks, where, you know, Economic data, yes, it's maybe getting a little bit worse, but I mean, if you look at unemployment and uh, a lot of other measures of um, economic strength, the US economy is, I think, surprising a lot of people in its resiliency. So you get that pause, you get that time where the, you know, the market can take a breath and say, okay, well, you know, no more rate hikes, we can relax a little bit, we can, uh, we can rally a little bit, and you know, the data's not that bad. And actually, generally speaking, the Fed, the cut the when the Fed cuts, that's when you're already seeing the um, the market uh, turn down a little bit. So I'm I, I'm hoping that you know we get that more more of a pause. Basically, even though the market is already pricing in some cuts, I don't see that happening quite yet. So that's my that's my main main thesis. So to get a little bit of insights as to what you're telling your audience over in your investing group. For the next five, six months before the pivot happens, how are you recommending that people get positioned? Uh, you know, I would say I'm cautiously bullish at this point. I think there's a there's a lot of well, a lot of the things I already said about the economy holding up better. We have also, especially in certain assets, uh, maybe the effect of not just uh, the liquidity. Obviously, liquidity is uh, something that I look at a lot when it comes to to macro, and you know, one of the main drivers if you look at uh, risk assets, crypto especially. And we've also we also have a lot of liquidity uh, in terms of a uh, global liquidity turning up. I mean that already started turning up in the uh, beginning of the year. You see a big uh, big move. Well, Bank of Japan obviously just changed their their governor. There was some idea that they might scrap the yield curve control. That's going to keep going on. It seems China um, so not not quite clear, but they have a lot of room to ease as well. So in general, I see global liquidity as Coming out, I mean, there's certain assets that are going to perform a bit better, obviously, but mostly I expect us to rally a bit here and, you know, um, which I think you might call contrarian, but 
again, another chart that I recently shared with subscribers is a, the, um, the amount of kind of short positioning in the market. And you often see that, you know, when those uh, when you get those institutions or certain um, market participants shorting so much, that's, that's actually a pretty good indicator that where we're heading is up. So uh, cautiously bullish would be my would be my take at this point. But what sectors or what specific companies come to mind when you're talking about this bullish scenario? Because obviously people look at regional banks, right? And that, that's a, a, a sector that's getting hit hard right now. So people don't want to just generally throw money across the board. Anything come to mind? Right. Well, I think uh, in terms of positioning, not just for this rally, but maybe more for the long term, I think uh, real assets are obviously uh, something that you could consider. Obviously, gold has performed very well. And that that goes with a bit more with um, more of a long term view, but definitely gold, something like energy. I'm, you know, I'm buying this dip a little bit as well. Uh, but then more immediately, I'm also quite bullish on the uh, yeah some of the risk assets. So I would I would long the Nasdaq, um, uh, crypto especially. What I was mentioning before is that it kind of gives you that insulation of even if there is like a recession in the U.S., crypto. Some of these assets, uh, especially Bitcoin, might perform a bit better because in terms of global liquidity, you know, Bitcoin uh, can rally on the back of that. When, you know, Bitcoin isn't really affected by you know it's, it doesn't have earnings and it's just going to go up. With, with the liquidity really. Uh, so that's another one. Um, yeah, in general, those kinds of assets. Yeah, energy, I've been looking at a lot of different uh, energy stocks, uh, commodities, I think, yeah, could do well, gold, uh, maybe copper as well, uh, those kinds of areas. It's interesting you bring up energy because that's one that I've been thinking about in regards to if there's a recession and consumer slowdown of travel and things and everything hits the fan. Doesn't energy get hit? What's what's the play behind the energy sector here? Uh, you know, I think there can be some obviously short term uh, headwinds in energy, but you know, if you're looking at more over the next five, ten years, and you you think about the big picture, right? The global picture. You've got basically all these nations uh, industrializing, right? In India, China, well, China obviously already uh, quite industrialized, but maybe more from the more developing nations and that energy demand is, is, is going to come. And the truth of the matter is, is that um, I think there's a basically kind of a, we've had a long period where we pretty much underinvested in those, in those commodities really in, uh, in the uh, exploration of energy. So there is going to be uh, some sort of a squeeze and you're going to see, you're going to see those, those prices go up. And the only way that we're going to actually be able to, um, you know, to guarantee that all that demand coming in these new countries, obviously, well, first of all, one of the points that a lot of people make is that renewables aren't going to cut it. So you're going to have to uh, rely on the more traditional ones. And, you know, the only way we're going to do that is, again, uh, investing in exploration and to an extent, a kind of a speculative bubble that draws in that capital. So we should see uh, those perform well, I think. Thanks for clarifying on that. Let's take a step back a second. You were talking about crypto as well. Crypto, uh, you mentioned real assets. Is crypto a real asset? I just want to clarify. Well, I guess... Just really depends on your own definition. I, you know, I particularly am of the opinion that Bitcoin, I do subscribe to basically the idea that Bitcoin is digital gold. You know, and I see it as, um, you know, it's been it's been designed almost perfectly to mimic gold in the sense of how the supply is, uh, is limited, how it's even mined. And, um, you know, even though it does have, have any fundamental value, people say, well, what has value, right? Value has always been subjective. I mean, gold is just a, yellow piece of rock and and uh bitcoin to me 
you know, I, I set aside Bitcoin from the other assets. I would, you know, altcoins, even though I do invest in other cryptocurrencies, you know, that's basically almost speculative. Bitcoin, I do see as basically a long-term store of value to me. Uh, to me, it's a real asset. All right. So you mentioned crypto, you mentioned altcoins, you mentioned the liquidity and how this is supposed to make the prices of those go up. Let's dive into the crypto space. So you have this podcast, The Pragmatic Investor. You've had Ryan Wilday on, who's a crypto waves guy that we've talked to before. I know he follows the crypto space there. You've had Mike Fay, who's also been on this podcast talking about altcoins and what he sees in the space. Give us the rundown. If you're going to pick an altcoin to add to your portfolio, what are you looking at right now? Which one strikes you as the one with the best potential and, and the nicest returns from here on out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good good question, and it's interesting you mentioned those two um, those two guests that I had because you know their their approach would be quite different. Ryan Wilder, of course, is very much focused on on the charts, and he would say, "Well, look at look at the chart that looks best," you know. While uh, Mike Fay uh, does a lot more work on a uh, kind of the fundamentals behind a coin, though you know sometimes fundamentals don't uh, you know, don't necessarily translate to price. Uh, personally, I've talked before about this. I think some of the, uh, you know, to the extent that uh, Ethereum is growing and is going to become kind of a, kind of a, perhaps the uh, the place for the next kind of version of the internet, if you if you will, uh, the uh, Ethereum scaling solutions uh, come to mind. I pretty like I, I like Polygon a lot, so that's Matic. I think that that's a good coin to have. Um, I know. Uh, that's that's one for example that comes to mind. Is it better for people to invest in altcoins over just investing in Bitcoin or Ethereum? Uh, you know that's a good question, and I guess the answer comes down to what kind of investor you are. I mean, altcoins. I mean, they're just uh, they're just crazy, right? You you just saw what happened with the with the meme coins, and you know I think uh, I, I was actually this is something that Ryan Wilde said. He said you know if you if you're just an investor, you want some exposure to crypto, just don't bother, you know, because the out altcoins unless you're gonna be staring at charts all day and you know kind of a being a very active investor maybe there's no there's no need to bother with those i think you know especially at certain points if you also look at how the um crypto space works and you, you have that what they call the out season you know there there is a there is room to to benefit from that and but i do see a lot of my altcoin investments uh, specifically i see as a um, not so much fundamental just uh, basically yeah trying to trying to catch that trend and and, and those moves so again i I think uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum for, for starting off is, is plenty. So you put out a message in regards to the Bitcoin congestion that happened this previous weekend. And we're seeing some interesting price movement this week as well within that space. Can you provide any insight into that and why that's happening? Uh, yeah. So your first question, you're asking about the uh, the Bitcoin fees, right? Like the... Um, the fees are going up a lot. The congestion of the network. Yeah. yeah. Well, that has a lot to do with uh, the uh, with ordinals, which is basically a kind of a protocol that allows uh, basically to have uh, NFTs and digital those digital assets on Bitcoin, and those are basically clogging up the network a lot. Uh, that's pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, so that's interesting. I, I put that out, and you know, my take on that as well. You know, if the if the network fees are going up, then that. That could be that could be good for the miners. That was a that was my take. And um, so, was there another question there about the price action that we've seen recently in the Bitcoin spot? You know, it's 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 hard to say. I've I've read reports of um, 
uh, the U.S. Yeah, people have been saying saying that the U.S. has sold, but I'm not 100% sure if that's correct. I haven't verified it. Ultimately, it's something that I'm not that. I guess it's it's not something you know that really affects my own uh, analysis and not something that I look. So I'm something that I haven't really looked into that. And I know there's been claims, but there was also claims last time we had that. I think it was two three weeks ago we had that big sell off. Um, you know, Bitcoin, one of the things that I have talked about is the fact that if you look at the uh, liquidity in Bitcoin, especially when you had all those, uh, obviously, SVB Bank and uh, was it another one? They were basically all kind of linked to crypto. So, you know, kind of some people are talking about an attack on, on crypto, but basically the a lot of the ramps onto crypto have been limited. And actually, if you look at the uh, the volume on on Bitcoin has uh, has gone down a lot. So that's, that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of volatility is that the market isn't quite as deep as it as it once was. I appreciate that. Now let's switch gears real quick and let's talk about this individual stock that uh, kind of came across through one of your notes, highlighted to me, I thought it was interesting, and that's PayPal and the fintech space. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different news going on right now. You said that you were previously an owner of PayPal. What do you kind of think of the scenario of where the share price is now? Uh, you know, PayPal is one of those stocks that I think, uh, you know, they they just generally, I think if you look at the uh, the valuation, it offers good value and it's within a space that is, uh, you know, quite still quite interesting, right? The kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in the potential, obviously, being someone who's into crypto and and kind of uh, financing those those things. Um, you know, PayPal obviously is a stock that I think uh, could do could do a lot more interesting things and to that in that regard, I don't think it's always priced in because the valuation, you know, when you compare it to maybe some of the other bigger, you know, bigger um, financial stocks, maybe like a Square or something, you look at PayPal and you know it's a it's a company that does produce good cash flows. You know, it, it earns it earns money. You know, and I think that sometimes that is uh, overlooked. So it, it earns money and it has the potential to earn a lot more because of the space that it's in. I guess that would be kind of my my two cents on that. James, I got one more question for you before we let you go here. This has been so great. Appreciate all the time today is we just came out of earnings season. Just wanted to ask you, was there any company that really stood out in regards to their earnings this last quarter? Um, yeah, well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because a lot of the uh, a couple of the guests that I've had on my podcast have uh, made some good calls on stocks that, uh, you know, have actually popped quite well on on earnings. You know, one of them was uh, Uber, which uh, did all right. Uh, Palantir more recently, um, which was recommended by uh, Victor Durganov, very, very bullish on Palantir, and that that popped 20%. And, you know, there's an argument to be made there. I recently uh, wrote a piece on Palantir, and, you know, there's an argument to be made there where if you look at how the uh, company has, you know, finally managed to achieve profitability, um, some of the growth in the U.S. is reaccelerating. And, you know, if you think about that AI narrative, you, you know, you wonder, you know, why isn't Palantir rallying more? I mean, that's kind of one of the best AI companies you have, you know? So yeah, pretty, uh, pretty impressed with Palantir, you know, looking at, looking at, uh, to see what the company does, uh, moving forward. It's interesting. You bring up that company. I mean, that share price of Palantir really hasn't moved much recently. Do you have any worries about that company? Uh, you know, I mean, Palantir is, yeah, it's, it's gone the way of a lot of, a lot of other companies, right. In the last few months, it's just, uh, it's come down a lot. I think it was obviously, it was caught up in the hype. And, you know, there was some rightful um, concerns people had about the stock-based compensation and um, basically the, the profitability challenges. But if you look at, you know, starting, in, in, you know, after the earnings, I think the stock went up 20%. 
And, you know, there might have been some degree of a short squeeze there. But basically, I, I do think that there is, um, you know, a lot of investors to, turned around and said, well, actually, you know, this company is a software company that actually can make good money. And it's in a sector in a segment which, you know, continue to deliver 20% CAGR for the next decade. And and maybe it's an actual uh, interesting play. And also, stock-based compensation is trending down as well. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to like there, I think. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times, myself or the guests might own positions in the securities mentioned, but this is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. And just a reminder, you can find a link to the investing group service in the description or show notes page on Seeking Alpha. And we'll see you next episode.